Good morning. Welcome to Faith on Hills online Sunday morning service. We meet every Sunday morning in person and online at 10.30 a.m. Audio podcast versions of this service are available on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. All you have to do is search Faith on Hill. You'll also find other podcasts that we released, like our 20-minute Bible study podcast. Video versions are available on our website, faithonhill.com, in a live stream format, and they are always available afterwards on our Facebook page. You can follow us on Facebook, at faithonhill, or facebook.com backslash faithonhill. We're also at faithonhill on Instagram. You don't have to have a Facebook to watch the video. You can just go to facebook.com backslash faithonhill. We are taking donations for the Wichita Family Center. If you have food, winter clothes, that sort of thing, uh, you can message me, adam at faithonhill.com, and we can work out a time for you to drop off uh, supplies for those who are in need in our community. Also, small groups are starting up again. We have a small group that meets on Sunday mornings. We have a young adults small group that meets on Tuesday nights. We also have our youth group on Tuesday nights. And we have a virtual small group on Zoom on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. If you want the link and code for that, uh, you can reach out smallgroups at faithonhill.com and we can get you hooked up with that. It's one of my favorite things that we do all week. I love getting together, praying with people, praying for people, uh, sharing what God's been speaking to our lives and, and getting to know each other better, living in community together. So I hope you've had a fantastic week. I hope that you're growing in the grace of God, knowing how much Jesus loves you. We are going to continue studying the Word of God today, and we'll be in Jonah, starting in chapter 1. Well, if you have a Bible, open to the book of Jonah. We'll be starting in chapter 1. We are going through the 10 least read books of the Bible. Just because they're the least read, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have something to say to us. But we do recognize there are reasons why something would be one of the least read books. Well, first of all, Jonah and, and every book that we are going to study as we finish the least read books of the Bible is part of what's called the minor prophets. And I think that's just bad publicity. Uh, in Jesus' day, they would not have been called the minor prophets. They would have been called the 12 prophets because they were all grouped together. These 12 different prophets and their 12 different writings were grouped together, and they are referred to as the book of the 12 or the 12 prophets or, or some combination of that idea. So they wouldn't have been called the minor prophets in Jesus' day. That is a modern uh, way of grouping them. They are minor not because what they had to say was unimportant. They are minor because what they had to say was relatively short. Uh, Isaiah, Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the major prophets, they wrote massive books of the Bible. Uh, in fact, one of the reasons we do our 20-minute Bible study podcast is because some of those larger books like Exodus or Isaiah would be difficult to get through in a timely manner on Sunday mornings. So, so there were these prophets writing massive works, and then there were prophets like Hosea, Obadiah, uh, Zechariah, and Zephaniah, and Jonah, who wrote much smaller works. So Jonah is, uh, I think, on that ten least read list, partly because he's in the Minor Prophets, and all of the Old Testament least read books are in the Minor Prophets. 
I think another reason why he's on the least read list is that it's a kid's story. Uh, let's be honest about it. Like, there are what we would call kid's stories in the Bible. David and Goliath, Jonah and the whale, Noah's ark, um, Jesus heals a blind man, Jesus walks on water. There are stories that you hear over and over and over as a kid. Even if you don't grow up in church, maybe somebody gives you a little coloring book or a little kid's story book of some of these things. But definitely, you grew up in the church, like they're just over and over and over again. And I think what happens sometimes is we can assume that the, the sanitized, in some cases, or um, pared down versions of the stories that we give our kids, and understandably so, but then we come into adults, uh, are as you know, Christians have our own adult faith, and then we say, oh yeah, I know that story, when we don't because there's so much more to it, and we don't hear about so many things because it's kind of pared down for the kids' version. Also, it has an odd ending. You're going to read it in a minute, but Jonah ends kind of unconcluded. There's not clarity about where Jonah went after the ending of the book. It just kind of stops. And then finally, there's the fish. Nowhere in the Bible does it say Jonah was swallowed by a whale. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Pinocchio, the old Disney one, but it's on Disney Plus. You can go see it. But Pinocchio gets swallowed by a giant whale. And I think that informs a lot of modern thinking. Nowhere in the Bible does it say he gets swallowed by a whale. It says a large fish swallowed Jonah. But that's a hard thing for people to grasp. Did that really happen? That sounds fanciful. Except that it does happen. I don't know how, I mean, I felt horrible for the guy, but personally, knowing that I was going to teach Jonah very soon when, it, when I read it this summer, I was so excited. A, a lobster diver in Maine this summer, 2021, in America, in Maine, in New England, in America, he was swallowed by a whale, small, small whale, large fish. He was swallowed whole. I was so happy because it does happen. And he's not the only case that has been documented of people being swallowed by large fish and surviving. That being said, there's no question that it's a miraculous story. The fish just happened to be there and all that stuff. But I'm going to tell you this. The fish is not the problem. And it's not the main point of the story. The, the writings of the prophet Jonah are not about being swallowed by a fish, as we will see. And we believe there is a God, and he created this world, and he put humanity into a garden that was a paradise for them, and there was no sin, and there was no fear, and there was no injustice, there was no evil. And then the first people, Adam and Eve is what the Bible calls them, rebelled against God. They sinned. They gave in to temptation, and the world was cursed and sin and death reigned. And so God, in his love for people, wanted to save us from ourselves and from the justice and judgment that our sins deserved. So who could save us? And the answer is no one was found worthy to redeem the world. So God did it himself, and he became a man, Jesus Christ. God, fully God, fully human, and he lived among people, and he never sinned, and he was murdered at the hands of sinful men. And when he died on the cross, willingly hung there on the cross, the Bible says that the full wrath of God 
was poured out on him for my sins and for your sins, for the sins of any who would believe in him. That God saw his sacrifice and says, it's worthy. And he rose from the dead three days later to show his victory. And he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses who saw someone that they believed to be Jesus Christ risen from the dead. We believe that. We believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. We believe that Jesus ascended into heaven 40 days after his resurrection and that he will come again to this earth and set things right. The fish swallowing Jonah is not even in the top 10 craziest things that I believe. And I say crazy tongue-in-cheek because I don't think it's crazy to follow Jesus. I think it's crazy not to follow Jesus. But I understand that from an outsider's perspective, there are some wild things within Christianity. I want to again say the fish is not in the top 10, but I think the fish is definitely in the reason why Jonah is in the top 10 least read books of the Bible. Let's read the book of Jonah together, starting in chapter 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship was threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble on us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what are your people? Or from what people are you? He answered, verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I worship Yahweh. And whenever you see the, the word the Lord, and Lord is all capital, it's for Yahweh or Jehovah, the name of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says, I am a Hebrew and I worship Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? They knew that he was running from the Lord, from Yahweh, because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so he asked them. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up. And throw me into the sea, he replied. It will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried out to Yahweh, Please, Yahweh, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard. And the raging sea grew calm. 
At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish, doesn't say whale, a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, and he said, I am in my distress. I called out to Yahweh, and he answered me. From the deep, in the realms of the dead, I called out for help, and you listened to my cry. And you hurled me in the depths into the very hearts of the sea, and the current swirled around me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again to your holy temple. And the engulfing waters threatened me and surrounded me, seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Yahweh, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Yahweh, and I, my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from Yahweh. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Now, the word of the Lord, chapter 3, verse 1, came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes, and he covered himself with sackcloth and sat in the dust, which was the uh, ancient way of mourning and showing grief. And, and you still find that in some Near Eastern cultures and North African cultures. This is a way of grieving and showing mourning and sorrow. And in some cases, and I think in this case, repentance. Verse 7, this is the proclamation he issued to Nineveh. By decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animal, herds or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry and he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this exactly what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. And here he is quoting from the book of Exodus, which we just studied in the 20-minute Bible study this last week. Uh, you know, what, what timing? If you go to the most recent episode of 20-Minute Bible Study, 
we, we talk about this verse that he's quoting from Exodus. And he says, I know about you, that you're a gracious and compassionate God. Now, verse 3, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. He is so despondent that Nineveh has repented and turned from their wickedness and from their violence. He's so despondent that God has forgiven them that he says, God, could you just kill me now? It's better that I die. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? I do this with my kids sometimes. I'll let them have their vent, and then I'll ask them, okay, did that really help anything? And, and I want to help them understand what's going on. God's treating Jonah like a little kid. Jonah, verse 5, had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made himself a shelter and sat in the shade and waited to see what would happen. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, the Lord provided a worm, which chewed up the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's hot head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, Wouldn't it be better for me to die than to live? But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, Jonah said. And I am so angry that I wish I were dead, which is exactly how a little kid would say it. Verse 10, but then the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it. You didn't make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have more concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left hand and so many animals? Like I said, it has an abrupt ending. This is God's word. God wants to work in us, and he wants to work through us. This week, we will focus on God wanting to work in us, and next week, we will look at the book of Jonah again and talk about God working through us. But God wants to work through us. God could have used anyone, but he wanted Jonah. And then Jonah, what does he do? It says the word of the Lord came to him and he runs away. And God could have said, fine, I'll use somebody else. And he could have let Jonah die in the storm. But in his mercy, he had the fish come, swallow him, and three days later, spit him out. But then it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. God could have said, you know what, Jonah? You screwed up. Boy, you messed that one up big. I had mercy on you. You didn't die, and I'm going to go find somebody else now. But he didn't. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. He pursued Jonah. God, for whatever reason, and I don't claim to understand everything about God, but for whatever reason, God pursues us. He comes after us. Remember I said a few minutes ago that we believe that God created a garden and he put the first people in it. And when they sinned against him, they hid. And the Bible says in the book of Genesis that God went looking for them and he called out to them by name and he searched for them. Now, does that mean that he didn't know where they were? Obviously not. He knows all things. But he was reaching out to them and he was trying to draw them back. 
And God has pursued you, and he's pursued me. And when we were lost in sin, when we were like the Ninevites, where God says, hey, they didn't know their right hand from the left hand. We didn't know what was up, what was down. We thought what was evil, we called it good. We thought darkness was just the normal way of living, and then God shone his light into our lives, and he showed us that we were living completely wrong. He pursued us, just like he pursues Jonah. Because God wants to do a work in Jonah's life, just like God wants to do a work in us. Now, like I said, Jonah hears the word of the Lord and he runs away. Why does he run away? Well, he tells us at the end of the book. That's actually one of the troubles of preaching Jonah, chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, and chapter 4, is that you find out a lot of stuff you need to know in chapter 4. He tells us in chapter 4. He says he knew that God is compassionate and gracious. He knew that if the people of Nineveh repented, that God would, would spare them. And he didn't want that. Because Nineveh, the great city, was the capital center of Israel's enemies. And he hated them. And he did not want them spared. He probably wanted God to wipe them out. He wanted nothing to do with God's rescue mission for the people of Nineveh. And so he ran away. And he went as far as possible. Tarshish. It's, dis it's disagreed or debated about exactly where that place was. Uh, some people say it was Spain or Portugal. Others say it was the British Isles. I don't think it matters. I think the point is that Tarshish was as far away as you could go. Jonah heard the word of the Lord, and he didn't just stay put and said, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. He didn't just go, yeah, maybe I'll do that later, knowing he never would. He actively ran as far away as he could go from where God wanted him to be. God wanted him over here. He was going that way. Because he thought there were consequences to following God. And he lists them out in chapter 4. And, and certainly that happens. Maybe you had concerns before you became a Christian. If I, became a, if I become a Christian, will this happen? And I've heard all kinds of different things. You know, um, if I become a Christian, do I have to like go to church every Sunday? If I become a Christian, is God going to send me to, to some foreign part of the world to preach the gospel. Uh, if I become a Christian, I, my, my youth pastor uh, told me when I was in high school, he said, you know, when he was in high school, when he became a Christian and his big concern was, if I become a Christian, do I have to stop smoking pot? And he's like, I wasn't even smoking pot, but for some reason that was a big concern of mine. And, and everyone has a concern. If I become a Christian, this or that, and, and people worry about the consequences of that. And then even once you do become a Christian, there are times where Christians worry about the consequences of following God in a specific way. If I follow God in this way, what are the consequences? If I follow God in this way, will I have to give up some right or some control of my life? If I, have to, if I follow God this way, will I not have as much money as if I didn't? If I follow God this way, uh, will I miss out on the, the, the joys of this world in some way that my neighbors or my friends or my relatives are not? They're just 
doing everything they want to do and having a good time. And if I follow Jesus, won't I miss out on something? If I follow Jesus, will there be breaks in relationships with people? All of these things are are things people worry about, the consequences of following Jesus. No one ever thinks about the consequences of not following Jesus. What happens if I don't? If I I follow God, uh, but do I have to go to church every Sunday? What happens if you don't, if I don't follow God? Will, Will I spend all eternity knowing the full judgment and justice that my sins deserve? If I don't follow God, will I live my whole life outside of the plans that my maker and creator has for me? Oh, I want to live to my full potential. I don't have time to give myself over to following Jesus. I'll do that later, but I've got so much life to live. Oh my goodness, what happens if I waste my 20s and my 30s and my 40s or my teen years or whatever? What happens if I waste my retirement and you're trying to fulfill my own desires? Nobody ever thinks about those consequences. What if I waste my life instead of living it to the fullest by following Jesus? I know this is true, that I have never regretted following Jesus and I have always regretted when I have not followed Jesus. And, and I don't know what else to say beyond that. Jonah was worried about the consequences of following God and he was not considering at all the consequences of going the other way. And he gets on the boat and he falls asleep and everything in his world is breaking down and he's just totally ignorant to it. It's amazing how many people are like that. Jesus said this very same thing, by the way. This is biblical. Luke chapter 14, you can go look it up. Jesus said, hey, which one of you, if you're going to build a tower, and we wouldn't build a tower probably in our day, uh, you know, a shed, uh, an ADA in your backyard, a cabin, new fence, whatever it is, whatever project, remodeling your kitchen. This is the same idea. Hey, you're going to do a project. Who goes and just starts working? Hey, I'm going to build a shed in my backyard. What do I got here? Well, I got a piece of scrap wood here and I've got some rocks and uh, I've got some extra dirt over there. Maybe I'll make a dirt wall for part of it. Nobody does that. You you go and you get a design and then you go and you get the material, the concrete and the wood and the metal and whatever you need. And you figure out how much it's going to cost and how much time it's going to take and what materials you need. So Jesus said, hey, there's nothing wrong with considering the cost of following him. He said that you should consider what it means to take up your cross and follow Jesus. But again, the mistake you make is not considering the consequences of not following Jesus. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says the wages of sin are or death. But the gift of God is eternal life. If I don't follow Jesus, I die. If I do follow Jesus, I live. It's as simple as that. Now remember I said God wants to do a work in us. God wants to do a work in us. And a lot of people over the years, I don't know how many times I've heard people say something that basically means this. I need to get my stuff together. And they don't always use the word stuff. But I need to get my stuff together and then I can start dealing with God. And I understand where they're coming from because that's human religion. But the good news of Jesus is this. We don't have to get our stuff together. Jesus does the work in us. Jesus comes after us. The Bible says while we were God's enemies, Jesus died to save sinners. 
Jesus comes after us and he grabs a hold of us. What was going on in Jonah's life that he was so special that the word of the Lord came to him for this work that God had for him? Nothing. But God came after him. And God, God's not dumb. God knows that Jonah's got all kinds of issues and this whole process of running away and, and thinking he's probably died and, and, and he's just kind of in some abyss of judgment. Like, for three days, he's inside this fish. Dark, smelly, maybe his, his eyes are irritated, uh, his skin is irritated and even burning a little from, from acids within inside the fish. I don't know. But as he's there, God's doing the work. And God's work so often begins with repentance. We have this idea that, oh, I got to get right with God. No, God comes after us and makes us right. And, and he's just trying to get Jonah to come to that place of repentance. Lord, I have sinned against you. I've sinned against you. And like Jonah says, my, my prayer rose up to you, O Lord. And God heard his prayer. And in the same way, we have sinned against God. We've run 100%, 180 degrees the other way. We've gone as far away from God as we can. And it looks different for every person. For one person, it's pride. For another person, it's violence. For another person, it's selfishness. For another person, it's immorality. For another person, it's greed. For another person, it's idolatry. All these things that we do to run from God's plans for us. But let's call it what it is. Humanity is in rebellion against God. The word sin speaks of missing God's perfect, holy standard. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God brings Jonah to a place of repentance. There's two big words that I think every person should know. Justification and sanctification. When we are justified, we are made right before God. And every person who places their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins is justified, is made right before God. God looks at us, he looks at you, he looks at me, and he sees Jesus' work on our lives. And he says, they're good. And there's plenty of religious people who will come before God on the day of judgment and they will say, hey, look at all the religious things, all the spiritual things, all the charitable things, all of the moral things that we did. And Jesus will say, depart from me, I never knew you. And the Father will look on them and they will not see Jesus and he will only see their sin. So let's call what, what sin what it is. And let's repent of our sins. And let's proclaim Jesus now, Jonah goes to Nineveh, and we'll talk much more about that next week, about the work God wants to do through us. But after God hears the repentance of the people of Nineveh, and he forgives the city, and the judgment he has against them goes away, Jonah is sitting outside of the city. And Nineveh, you can go and Google map it, right? It was a real place. And it's in what we would think of as Iraq kind of north of Baghdad. It's the desert. It's hot. 
and he is sitting outside. It says he built a shelter for himself, but he is still getting scorched in the sun, and he's incredibly uncomfortable. So apparently he did a really bad job of making a shelter for himself. And so God, miraculously, and I make, it's a miraculous event. A plant grows up in the desert, and it's leafy and lush, and it covers Jonah, and it gives him shade and relief. Now, he didn't have to be out there. He could have gone into the city where these people have repented, and he could have probably gotten somebody to put him up for the night and had some shade and some water and some food and and been fine. But he goes and he sits out there and he just waits. And God brings comfort to him in the form of this plant. God's work with Jonah was not done. Jonah had repented, but he wasn't sanctified. That's the other big word that I think every person should know. Justified is being made right before God. When we are sanctified, it is the process of being set apart, made holy, made like Jesus. And God's work in Jonah wasn't done. You see, God cares about people. And he doesn't just care that you are going to heaven. All right, boom, that one's going to heaven. That's fine. We'll just let them rot and whatever, and they can do whatever and and live in the misery that they, they create. No, God cares about you and me. And he doesn't just care that we're going to heaven, but he wants to see us fully saved, fully set free. And God cares about Jonah. And so he's trying to bring Jonah into a place of, Jonah, you're so full of bitterness and so full of hate and resentment. And I'm trying to bring you to the place of love and mercy and compassion. Jonah says about God that he's gracious and compassionate. God's trying to bring Jonah into that same freeing place. It's a lot more freeing to have love in my heart than it is to have hate and bitterness. It's so much more freeing to have joy and peace than it is to have judgment and resentment. I don't know if you found that to be true, but I sure have. God cares about people, and he's trying to bring Jonah into this place of understanding who he is. God isn't distant and unconcerned. He is direct and personal, and he wants Jonah to understand his own heart, his very nature. And God cares about people. And he's trying to bring us to that same place of concern. To that same place of concern. God wants to do a work in us. And a lot of times we think, oh, God's going to do a work in me, so he's going to just like, all right, I'm not going to say bad words anymore. Or God's going to do a work in me, so all right, I'm, I'm going to like be more joyful or be more giving or, or you know, be more happy or whatever. What if the work that God just wants to do is to bring his love into the fullness of our lives? And and do I still have my own personality? Yes, but it's just full of the love of God. Do I still have my own way of seeing the world? Sure, God made you an individual. But he's trying to fill you with his love completely. And I I don't know about you, But I find that my love is always imperfect. It always comes with something wrong with it. But God's love for me has never been wrong. It's always been perfect. And if I have God's love overwhelming my life and you have God's love overwhelming your life, then that is the process of being set apart and we are made perfect in the love of God. Does that mean I'll never sin? No. But it means that my heart 
is towards Jesus. And I'm not sitting out in the desert suffering needlessly in my own bitterness. And I'm so thankful that God does the work in the lives of people, just like he's doing a work in Jonah's life. He's bringing Jonah to a place of repentance. We might see that as his moment of salvation. And then he's bringing Jonah to a place of holiness, of love, and we might see that as his sanctification. And I don't know where you're at in your life, on your journey. Everyone's at a different place. But if you do not have a saving faith in Jesus, there is an invitation to repentance. Call sin, sin. Confess and say, Lord, this is what I know about. And I need you to forgive that and everything I don't know about. The Bible says that anyone who believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. And I believe that that promise is for you, any who hear my voice right now. What happens if you know you're saved, you know you've repented, but like Jonah, you need to be brought to that place of the heart of God. I believe that God hears our prayer when we say, Oh Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me more like Jesus. Lord, empower me to serve you. Do the work in me like you did the work in Jonah. Because God has a work to do in us, but also through us. And we'll talk more about that next week. But right now, we need to celebrate and embrace the work God is doing in our lives. I don't know what work you need God to do in your life. And if you need real specific prayer for something, if you need to talk to somebody about something, reach out. My email is adam at faithonhill.com. But you know what? Jesus hears you right now, wherever you're at. And we're going to pray together. And I'd invite you to just pour out your heart to God because He hears and He cares. Well, now that we've heard from God's Word and we know that God wants to do a work in us, I believe it's to us to respond to Jesus. And we respond in all kinds of ways. On Sunday mornings, we respond by singing the gospel of Jesus together. We respond by praying together. We respond by giving of our energy and our our finances and our resources. And we respond in prayer. I don't know how you need to respond this morning or today, but I want to invite you to respond to Jesus as he has spoken to your heart. In this time of prayer, feel free to hit the pause button. Hey, I'm just going to pause it and I'm just going to pray and let Jesus know everything I'm thinking. He hears. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that like with Jonah, that you pursued him, you pursued us. Lord, I pray for any who don't know if they have a saving faith, I pray that as they cry out to you, that you would help them to know the fullness of their need for you and the fullness of your love for them. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to understand what it means to say Jesus is Lord. I pray, Lord, for any believer who knows that they need to dig in more fully and get closer more fully to your heart your heart for them, for people, for everything around us. How do we be like Jesus? I pray that the Holy Spirit would descend in power on them and that they would have the faith and the love 
to live in the victory that Jesus has given us. And whatever you need this morning, cry out to God. He hears your prayer. If you want to talk with somebody, you can email me, adam at faithonhill.com. We can set up something. The invitation is there. God is so faithful to do His work in us. And finally, I'd invite you to just sit down and say, Lord, this is where I feel I need you. And just name those things directly. And say, Lord, I don't know everything else, but will you show me? And I believe he will. We'd love to see you in person. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We've got our small groups. We'd love to have you be a vital and active part of our church family so that we can grow together in our knowledge of Jesus, in the love of God, and in the saving power that God the Holy Spirit brings his church. God bless you. And we'll see you next week at 10.30 a.m.